Welcome to the podcast of ideas. I'm Ella Whelan, co-convener of the Battle of Ideas Festival. The current coronavirus pandemic has revealed or perhaps heightened many underlying political issues from the lingering effect of the culture wars to the consequences of fear-mongering in political discourse. But one issue that seems to have bucked the trend is the generation debate. Going by the discussion of the last 10 years, young and old people are supposed to be at odds with each other. And yet this virus has proven that, actually, the tensions between the generations might not be so pronounced, with teenagers volunteering for their elderly relatives and the nation coming together to protect their grannies and granddads. But is there a generational element to the government lockdown? I mean, what does this mean for kids out of school and away from public life? And how might we move on in a positive direction away from the generation wars? Well, one person who has been following this issue long before the current pandemic is Jenny Bristow, senior lecturer in sociology at Canterbury Christ Church University and author of a number of books, including Stop Mugging Grandma, The Generation Wars and Why Boomer Blaming Waltz Over Anything, The Sociology of Generations and Standing Up to Supernanny. She's currently working on a book about the coronavirus generation. And here's what she had to say. So Jenny, do you think that the generation wars as you've written about them and as they've been discussed have had an effect on the reaction to coronavirus has that sort of political row fed into what we're seeing in terms of strategy from the government not at this point although I'm very worried about that happening later on what I've actually been most surprised about in the response to the COVID-19 threat as a disease is um, two things. First of all, that I think people genuinely have exhibited actually what I've been arguing all along in my work about the narrative of generation wars, that actually they really do care about older people. They don't think that old people's life is worth less because they're old, um, that they're prepared to take quite um, dramatic actions. I mean, this is before the lockdown, but even in terms of you know social distancing, taking care to protect older people from a disease that is clearly most ravaging for for them. And I think early on in the response to the the disease amongst the public, I think that that was very clear and it was also very heartening. As things have developed, the second thing that has really surprised me, although maybe it shouldn't have, is the, um, the willingness of politicians and commentators to throw young people under a bus. And by that, what I mean is that we've had over a decade now of a, a very kind of fashionable narrative about, oh, you know, we should listen to the voice of youth. We should um, think about the future. We should do everything for the interests of younger generations and future generations. And then when you have a response to this crisis, suddenly a disease that doesn't actually isn't yet as serious for younger people um, has become the premise on which so many features of their lives have just been cancelled or shut down, whether it's public examinations, schools and universities closing their doors, young people's jobs, all of these things. And and I found that quite shocking because I, I don't think that this is a reasonable response to the disease. I don't think that this kind of mass closure of everybody's lives is going to achieve the objective, the reasonable objective of shielding older and more vulnerable people. You know, it threatens to have quite a 
a profound and quite dangerous effect on the younger sections of society. Mm, I want to come on to talk about the corona generation, as you've termed them. Just sticking on the government strategy, I mean, the reason I asked you is because I've sort of found it fascinating that you could have had uh, politicians for years either making policy or feeding into the narrative of old people being a problem you know whether that's mm. the sort of the the more salacious aspect of it the row of a dementia tax to the more underlying things of you know grumblings about population control discussion about bed blockers the constant sort of half-assed attempt to do something about the social care crisis and now, as you've said, when you have a virus that really is only fatal in most cases for people over 70 or with underlying health problems, the whole of society sort of shifts to fit around their needs. And those things don't kind of follow on from each other. No, they don't. I mean, I, I want to be very clear that there's there's a difference between the way that the the disease profile has unfolded uh, which is exactly as you say, it's yeah, a much more dangerous thing for people over 70 and, and people with um, other health conditions. And the way that the disease profile has been politicised, I think they're two kind of slightly different things. Mm. There is a tension because I'm never comfortable with age segregation. I think society has become more and more age segregated as children are in education for longer and you know, you have this kind of the growth of retirement communities and this notion that there is something very different between older people and younger people or, or you know, the way, as you suggested, this kind of idea that children and people who are working age are productive and they're kind of worth thinking about and pensioners are just a drain on the public purse, you know, and a, a problem for the health service. This is the way that, you know, the discussion about ageing has gone for several years now. I was kind of wary about that, but the, the, the profile of the disease does mean that this is one instance in which actually a degree of age segregation makes a bit of sense for two reasons. First of all, because we do want to stop people from getting this disease who are going to become very ill from it. So encouraging older people to protect themselves and other people to look after older people makes sense. And secondly, because older people are pensioners, you know, so they're not we shouldn't be relying upon them to keep the economy going. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's actually reasonable to say, you know what, you guys will will take the brunt, we'll do the work, we'll look after you for a bit. And I think that was certainly the initial response. I think the government and governments around the world, I think, you know, they lost their nerve and decided that actually then the only thing to do was to scare the living daylights out of everybody, universalise the threat and lock everybody down. But then that causes a real problem because it means you're not opening up the space for other people to look after older people. And you're actually not doing something that is genuinely going to help older people either. You know, there is a massive difference between saying to somebody over 70, you know, look, we're going to provide you with voluntary assistance or state support or whatever it is uh, to enable you not to uh, risk having to, get to go to the supermarket every day. There's a difference between saying that and saying to older people, well, it's very important that you don't go out because if you get out, if you go out, you're going to become ill and then you'll be a burden on the health service, mm. which is why I think they have been framed in relation to this. And a lot of other aspects of the then what, what's happened is that older people have become very isolated, I think, as a, as a consequence because 
you know, they're basically told they're not to leave their houses. Other people are told not to go and visit them. There's a sort of sense of, you know, these people are kind of the problem because they might get infected. And then, you know, flipping over from that, what, I, what I've been writing about recently, which I find equally disturbing, is the idea that young people are a particular problem because they are, um, they're like this kind of unwitting vector of disease. That's the way that they're described. Mm. You know, so we've gone from a situation where we're trying to pull together to protect older people from a disease to where we now have this kind of idea that we're trying to protect old people from young people. And so we're going to keep the young people inside because, you know, otherwise they're just going to go and make us all ill. Especially for very young children, um, primary school age, that has an, a long term effect on the way generations relate to each other. And I want to ask you about the impact on, as you call it, Corona generation, uh, young people who are being told to stay at home and the sort of I've been incredibly frustrated by the stay at home save lives save the NHS sort of repetitive mantra because it's incredibly passive but actually it isn't just about staying at home and watching television I mean what impact is this having going to have on young people? Yeah and that's a very big question to which I think there are a number of sides that we need to take into account I mean I'm wary of the sort of yeah, the fatalism of a lot of the discussion that's going around about um, Generation C, as it's called somehow, or the COVID generation, or, you know, the, 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 and this is talked about as you know, kids who are born now. Uh, you know, you've had these twins born called COVID and Corona, which just sort of sums things up. And you know, this idea that their entire life is going to be shaped by this pandemic. I, I don't think that's necessarily true in the sense that I think history shows that people's experiences as they grow up are shaped by a whole range of things and I also think that a lot of the fallout of the response to the pandemic uh, in terms of the economic situation and um, you know the, the crisis of education and yeah, various other kind of big 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 problems these are problems that have been talked about for years I mean since the end of the global financial crisis you know, so in a sense, what, what we've got is a bad situation for young people in the labour market and in education, which is probably going to be worse, but it's not qualitatively different in that respect. Mm. Where I think it is going to have an impact and what I'm looking at is generational consciousness. So it's not necessarily the experiences of the or the life chances of the whole cohort, but the uh, young people coming of age at this time, so basically anyone from between the ages of 16 to 21, who are going through a process where they're becoming aware of the world and their role in it. They're you know, gradually becoming kind of independent in terms of thinking and looking at their life trajectory. And it's when we look at how generations have formed over time, I mean, it's, it's usually around that, 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 that the kind of sentiment that's nurtured in people at that stage of their lives, where they have a sense of the present being massively at odds with the past. <laughs> you know, they don't, it's, it's like a kind of schism mm. where the world suddenly shifts over and it's experienced as very confusing. And I think that this is likely to have an impact because those kind of, you know, the, whether it's the rites of passage to do with growing up, doing your exams or 
you know, leaving home, going to university, going traveling, having a job, having sex, you know, all of these things that young people are not able to do <laughs> at the moment. I mean, these, these things are very important kind of passageways on, on, on the, the road to adulthood, uh, which are being sort of really colored by this experience. And I think there's also a danger, which relates to what you said before about the passivity. So it's being colored by the experience and also being really colored, I think, by this notion that the best way they can serve their country is to sit on their ass, which I think is a terrible message for young people. And I think really kind of sort of speaks to that kind of idea of contempt, really, that we're not we're prepared to throw them out of every institution that they're in, we'll throw them out of education, we'll throw them out of work, but also we're not going to let them into any other aspect of the adult world. And that's what bothers me. And then at the end, I mean the end whenever it comes about of this uh, pandemic when the questions arise of not necessarily who or which country or what scientists were to blame but there will be an element of blame game going around and in the way that young people are talked about and treated moving forward I mean we have that you've written about trends and narratives sometimes small sometimes broader of things like a, you know a bad relationship with the past things like the climate change activists yeah. who use a lot of sort of uh, blame tactics on an older generation the concept of the baby boomer hatred that you've written about a lot especially in your um, book stop mugging grandma all of this sort of swirling around in the ether as it were that hasn't gone away during this pandemic post coronavirus when we're looking to essentially probably reshape society because everything has not just ground to a halt but had its life support cut off how will all those trends affect the way in which young people move forward from this because I'm nervous I have to be honest that there is a tendency to even if it's not the kind of silly stuff like the example you gave in an article you wrote for Spiked, you know, that this is because older people believe in deforestation and so therefore bats were eaten and that's how this spread. But a more general mm. kind of um, you stupid people, older people who don't have a sense of being in touch with nature, who don't do the right things, who are greedy Tories, you know, all this stuff. Uh, how can we sort of counteract that moving forward? I think the very best, way we can do it is by encouraging young people into a critical discussion of the pandemic you know the causes of it the responses to it and how things will shape up in the future because what worries me is that I'm pretty sure that the way this is going to play is that <laughs> global elites will say right young people your lives are screwed up and that's because of all the things that we had to do in the face of COVID-19 to protect older people from the disease now I don't think that's true and I think it's becoming more and more apparent that you know these kind of strategies of tanking the entire economy you know closing everything down we're not actually a sensible or proportionate response to the virus. It wasn't what we needed to do. It was a decision that we, or at least governments and officials, made for whatever reason that they made it. And I am worried that what will happen is the, the blame will be deflected onto older people as a way of, well, look, 
this is what we had to do to protect you, you know, and that will feed into an existing narrative of boomer blaming, which already alleges that, you know, the baby boomers run policy and the economy around their own interests. I'd critique that narrative. I don't think that's true. And I don't think it's true in this case, but I can really see it playing out in that generation blame game way. So I think it's very important, actually, that we bring young people into a dialogue with other generations. So basically, that we take responsibility as adults to say to them, right, we, you know, this is something that we need to discuss and we need to look beyond the headlines, beyond the government pronouncements about why we're doing what we're doing and critically engage with it. Because otherwise, I, I, I fear that if we continue to um, just cut them off, as, as we're doing by closing down education, we'll just kind of leave a, a space in which these kind of grievances can fester. Well, Jenny, then we've talked about this sort of conflicting or contradictory response to coronavirus, you know, the fact that actually most normal people and anecdotally we can list off a whole load of examples that you and I have seen in our personal lives and people we know that the divide in the generations that sort of vicious war that has been playing out in political discussion seems to have faded away in the way that you know young people are going out and volunteering and dropping food off to their elderly neighbors and all this really good stuff that you hoped was there is there and is happening um but then to what extent is the generation wars not fake but something that actually isn't as hasn't got as strong a hold on ordinary people's lives and the way they interact with each other what i'm trying to ask is is there Mm. actually light at the end of this tunnel that we aren't necessarily at crisis point in this sort of war between the generations just yet i think we're we're certainly not at crisis point i mean i I think the generation wars are fake i mean that's what i've been arguing i mean I, i think it's an elite narrative that's used to provide an apology for economic and political sclerosis <laughs> and empirical studies. I mean, study after study after study indicate that, yeah, I mean, obviously young people might, yeah, they might kind of go around saying, okay, boomer or whatever, but it's not very deeply held. You know, most young people really like their grandparents and their parents, you know, they're dependent on each other. Families are very close, you know, they, it's it's a system of support that actually people highly value. And so there's a there's always been this kind of junk, um, disjuncture between the elite narrative as it plays out and then how people really see their relationships. I talk to my students about the whole Generation Wars thing quite a lot. And they, they really like, they don't see it, you know, in their lives at all. And they really like their nans and all that. So... I kind of hope that one thing that this will do is that, I mean, I think it will kind of reconfirm that for anyone who cares to look. I'm sure when I was talking earlier about how I think the argument will play, I was really meaning in terms of at the level of kind of media and commentary and policy. I think the level of young people themselves, I think it, I, I think it will potentially really affirm the importance of intimacy. I found that a lot in the young people that with the young people I've talked to you know a lot of them have talked about social media and how kind of weird it is that you know they spent years and years being told how dangerous it is and how they should get off it and now they're told it's the best thing in the world because obviously that's all they're allowed to do and they've talked about the thinness of the contact and the relationships that you have over, over social media they really miss 
I think the physicality of each other, but just the kind of the casual interaction that you have when you're sharing a space, for example, being at school or, or, you know, just being out and about. So I think that's, yeah, we're potentially a positive. I mean, I, I, I do think, in a sense, it, it, it might bring some of the more silly commentators to their knees. That's what I really hope. You know, all the people who say that social media is the end of the world or young people are really individuated and selfish and whatever. And I think, you know, hopefully people will just sort of start saying, well, that's not true because of you know, this experience. I think it will make them again, hopefully reaffirm the importance of intimate intergenerational relationships in their lives. There's nothing like not being able to go and see your parents or grandparents to remind you how important that actual contact is. But again, provided we are open to having that discussion with young people and take responsibility for treating them as, you know, thinking, critical beings i you know I, I think it also has the potential to yes contradict the generation wars narrative and say well actually this was patently not about saving old people you know this is a a kind of a human-made crisis that we need to really consider whether it should have happened like this thanks to jenny bristow for her insights and to you for listening before you go I'd like to ask you to think about making a donation to the Academy of Ideas. We've not been furloughed and we haven't stopped. In fact, with salons and forums and public meetings online, we're busier than ever and delighted to be. But the current lockdown has almost completely stopped our income. So if you're a fan of what we do, we're counting on your support. Click the link below this podcast to donate what you can. And stay tuned for more debate and discussion from the Academy of Ideas wherever you get your podcasts.